Father. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, may we adore you this morning. For you are good and glorious. This morning as we open your word, as we proclaim, may, may we, Father, look to you. May we, Son, may we see your presence and your love for the city. And Holy Spirit, may we have that passion that comes only from you for the losses. So God, make your presence known here. In Christ's holy name, amen and amen. You may be seated. If you have a Bible, Matthew chapter 23. In November of 2004, with a U-Haul trailer, I moved, Katie and I started our move to Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, as I would start uh, in January, seminary at, at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. would we'll start my Master's of Divinity degree. When we left in 2004, in all reality, there was this unknown of would we ever return home as far as to, to live. And then 12 years later, God brought us home. Most, most weeks I get the opportunity as I, I drive to my office at Memorial Drive to come around Chattanooga on 75. And if you get the opportunity and you're able to do that in the mornings, it is such a beautiful experience to see the, the, the sun come up as it's, it's, it's radiating over the city of Chattanooga. Do you realize how beautiful and how good of a city we live in? Very fortunate. With all that goes on, we're still very fortunate to live in a place like Chattanooga, Tennessee. The thing about it, we have just experienced the summer months, right? And still somewhat in it, but we will soon experience the fall. The changing of the leaves, the, the beauty of of how God will clothe the valley in, 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 in the colors of, of bronze and, 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 and yellow and all the things that he will cover as the tree leaves begin to fall. And then if we're lucky enough, and, and we will experience uh, winter for sure, but if we're fortunate enough, we will experience the beauty uh, of the snowfall uh, in, in our city. And then all of a sudden, come March and April, what begins to happen? Spring. You begin to see things spring up. Flowers begin to bloom. We, we get the, the best of all worlds, do we not? We get snow, but not too much snow. We get summer, and for some of us, too much summer, but we do get summer. We get the fall and we get the spring. There's this beauty of the city. 
And this morning, as we come to our our, our sermon passage this morning in Matthew chapter three. 23 Jesus is now concluding his last public sermon soon will be the cross and the resurrection and as Jesus is 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 speaking here as he has just talked about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees as he had just went through the seven woes and began to to unpack with them here's who your what your heart is and here's how wicked you are listen listen to this what Jesus had just done he'd just unpacked hey you are a wicked people you are an evil people you are um, a group of religious leaders who have it out only for yourself and in that you're bringing destruction to uh, the city and to the people you are a wicked people we know that. Last week we talked about it. He used the word snakes and vipers. Snakes um, in, the, in the Bible is a representation of evil, not only in the Bible, but again in mythology. In most other cultures, snake is a form of evil, a representation of evil. And Jesus says, hey, you snakes, but he doesn't stop there. In, in verse 33, he says snakes, and then he goes on to say you family of vipers, brood is a family. He says, you family of vipers, and again, we talked about last week for those who were here. This is a recap for those who missed. Vipers were very dangerous snakes. They still are very dangerous snakes. They, are, they were small, and they would, they would lay um, in, in straight lines or, or as close as they could um, in, in the desert, and it looks like they were, were a twig. And so you would begin to gather them up, gather twigs up, and all of a sudden you'd come to a viper. What would happen once you grabbed a viper, you, do you think? You, you're going to get bit. And all of a sudden you're, you're, you're D-A-D. You're dead. D-A, what did I, did I misspell it? D-E-A. I spelled Dad. All right, pretty close. Yeah, dad is dead. But <laughs> there's your humor for the day, so. How in the world I can't spell when I'm preaching? I have no idea, but I can. So you're, you're dead. And, and you know, we, we talked last week about as, as uh, what made this even um, more of a, kind of as you read the scripture is this as Paul was bit by a viper and he didn't what he didn't die d-i-e is that right he he didn't die <laughs> yeah so so he, he 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 didn't die and so they said he was a god and Jesus is saying here you you, you evil people you you snakes you you venomous people you're killing people that's not a great place to be talked about, is it? And he calls them these, these things. And then all of a sudden he comes to the passage that we, we have here in, in verse 37 through 39. And it amazes me how Jesus ends this last public sermon. Think about this. He is just absolutely ripped them apart. I don't know 
about you, but have you ever been in a part of a worship service where the pastor just kind of rips you apart? I have. I've preached some of those sermons that as I'm preaching it, it's ripping me apart. And And I look and I begin to get to the end and all of a sudden something changes. And here's the thing. Jesus changes it that there is always hope in the midst of being ripped apart. Because look what Jesus does. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing See, your house is left to to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus here has grace and compassion on those whom he had just called out. Something kind of hit me this week as I was studying. There's a lot of discussion within our culture and our and our world here in the United States of America about social justice. Social meaning people and justice meaning doing justice for, for those who need it. And, and there's some push and shove within the church of what that looks like. There's all kinds of that. Should we be a part of the social justice movement or should we do something different? What does it mean to be a social justice Christian? And this is not something new, even though it's new um, kind of in the, the, the framework of what it's being talked about, but this has been ongoing within uh, Christianity for some time. Matter of fact, conservatives have uh, labeled liberals as, as too focused on social ministry and not enough on the gospel. And liberals within Christianity have often told the conservatives, you're too focused on the gospel, the speaking of the word, and you don't care enough about people. The reality is there's probably some truth in between both of those things. But here's the thing that I want us to hear that I saw this week, and I began to think about this. If we will do gospel grace, allow common grace, that, that grace that that goes across humanity, if we will love people as God has called us to love, he's called us to to feed the poor, to to give water to the thirsty, to do those things, if we will care for people the way Jesus tells us to in a common kind of way, guess what happens? We don't worry and we don't talk about social justice. We talk about gospel, grace, and then justice. And it's about the gospel. It's about what we do living out for uh, Christ and anytime we have gospel justice or gospel grace there's always the both the calling out of sin and then the helping of the needy and, and it's, it's they go together there's not a separation there's not one of these things that that the illustration that I've been asked before if somebody needs a drink of water do you give them water if they're about ready to die or do you give them the gospel we give them both but so often we're asked and that's a scenario that I've been asked. What do you do if somebody's in need? Do you, do you preach Jesus or do you give them the need? 
And, they say, and I'm like, well, you, you can do both. And no, you got a choice. Why do we have a choice? Because it's easy to feed somebody that's hungry. If I'm feeding Alex, he, if he's hungry, it's easy to, to feed him and talk to him about what? Jesus at the same time, right? And so what Jesus is doing, his ministry was always about giving truth and helping the needy. The needy could be also somebody that's very wealthy. It's not somebody that's just impoverished. And Jesus was trying to help the rich young ruler. There was a need there. And, and Jesus was, was trying to, to help him, but he missed it. And so what we see here is, is Jesus doing this common grace and then specific grace, getting down deep within it, within Matthew chapter 23. And then he comes to the end and he, and he has this. The first thing I want us to see is this. In verse 37 and 38, there's this compassion for the city and the people. And Jesus says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is both to the city of Jerusalem, but also in Scripture we know this. When Jesus uses the term Jerusalem and when Scripture uses it, it means for the nation of Israel in general as well. So he's not just talking to the people of Jerusalem or about the people of Jerusalem, but he's talking to the people of God, the people of Abraham, those who are the descendants, the Hebrews, the Israelites. He's talking to them, and he does this um, thing that he does often when he wants to get somebody's attention. He repeats something. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. When he come to Paul, he said what? Saul, Saul. He's done this often throughout Scripture. When he wants your attention, he repeats something. But I think we're very much like the people of Israel. There are times that, that we want Jet's attention. And we can say, Jet, he doesn't pay attention. And then we go, Jet, Jet, and he still does what? doesn't pay attention it happens doesn't it buddy yeah why because we're not attentive to the things that are going on around us but jesus does this to drive something home jerusalem jerusalem god's people listen to what i'm getting ready to say And he goes on and he says these words to him. He says, Who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Now that's not a good start for Jerusalem, Jerusalem, is it? It's just, it seems like it's getting even worse than, than what he's already done. He's already called on murderers. Now he's calling, he's called the Pharisees murderers. Now he's calling the people of God, murderers. He's making the statement, that not only are you Pharisees murderers, but the people of God are murderers. And in that, there should have been, with amongst those who are listening, the remembrance of all that the prophets have spoken, all that had been written in the Old Testament, how the prophets had been stoned, how God's people um, had went after the, the most righteous of them to condemn them. Not only that, but the words were now stirring in the hearts of the people there that the most righteous of most righteous 
King Jesus is standing there before them, and he is soon to be what? Killed. By whom? The people. We want to we blame Rome, right? It was not Rome. Rome was the instrument of the people. Because why? It, because the Roman authorities, Pilate was ready to do what with Jesus? What did he want to do with Jesus? He wanted to turn him loose. He wanted to let him go because he saw Jesus as not an issue at all. Jesus wasn't causing harm. The people that were shouting crucify were the ones that were causing harm. And so it's the people of God that crucified Jesus. It's the one that they, they convinced or they were not going to stop until Pilate crucified him. An uproar was going to happen. And to keep that from happening, Pilate being the good Roman he is, he did not care about people. He said, well, I'll just waste this one. Even though he seems to be good, I'll just waste him for the sake of unity. And so, so death was coming in Jerusalem soon by Jesus. And Jesus says, you, you killed the people. But listen why I say that there is compassion for the city and the people. After he says this, he, look what he says in verse 37. After he says that they're going to stone him, he says, How often I wanted to gather your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. Think about this. Jesus has just spoken to a group of wicked people. Now he has called the whole nation wicked, murderers. He has, though, this deep compassion for them. Think about this. Did Jesus run from Calvary or run to Calvary? Calvary's the cross. He ran to it, did he not? He ran straight forward, knowingly that this was going to happen. There is a reminder to me and, and a, a word of encouragement and equipping here in this text, and it's this. Over and over and over again in the New Testament, God's people are called to do a couple of things. One is this, to call out sin for sin amongst the people of God, and then in general, we're to call out sin. And we call it out by proclaiming the gospel. I don't have to go to somebody and say, hey, you are committing a sin. I can go to somebody and say, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. And if you're doing opposite of this, you're living in, in, in sin without making uh, them a, a pin cushion to, to say, I'm just going to keep sticking something into you. If I keep calling you a liar, eventually what, what will happen? You, you'll ignore me, right? But if I continue to, to, to speak of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I say that, that anything that is against the truth or anything that's not truthful is against Christ, over and over, I am, I am still saying you are not telling the truth, which is what? Lying, but it's against the gospel, right? I'm not just pointing you out for something you're doing, but I'm pointing out from a gospel perspective. And so Jesus has called us to do that. Secondly, because he did that. Secondly, Jesus has not only called us to call out sin, but he has called us to run into the danger. 
not from it. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives this, this great illustration of the armor of God. How many in here have read Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor? How many have heard sermons on the armor of God? It, there, there's, there, there's a helmet, right? There's a, there's a breastplate, right? There, there's a sword. There, there, are, there, are, there is a belt to hold the thing together. There are shoes. But what is not in the armor? Something on the back. Why? Because Paul is telling the Ephesian church, you are to go into the battle and not turn back. And Jesus is saying the same thing, and he's doing this. He is running into the battle, running into the wolf's den, running in because he cares for the people. He has a compassion for them, and he says, I would love to gather you as a mother does her, her chicks. When a, when a prey is coming after them, the mother will, of a hen would, would grab the chicks and will, will what protect them. And Jesus is saying, I want to do that, but you will not allow me to do that right now. I've wanted to do that. The Old Testament is about my guarding you. The law is there so that, that you will be guarded, so you will understand righteousness. But you have over and over been wicked. It's a reminder to me that, that yes, Jesus calls out sin, but he, as he calls out sin, he doesn't call it out from a distance. He calls it out as he runs into the middle of it. That's way different than what we do, is it not? We call sin out from a distance. Why? Where we won't be harmed. It's even easier today in today's society to call out sin because you can call it out on your phone within social media and never interact with the person face to face or the danger. How many believe that our inner cities across America are places of danger? Would you agree with that? Not, not just Chattanooga, but across the board. But what are churches historically doing in the inner city? Are they running into it or are they running from it? Running from it. Still today. And we wonder why the crime rate in inner cities is significantly higher than the suburbs. What's, what's in the suburbs? The church. How many of you passed at least three churches to get to this one this morning? How many of you, this is not the closest building to your house? There are approximately 1,000 churches within the Chattanooga region. It's one of the re references that was made this morning in our, our in prayer time. There are approximately, in the region, when I say region, we're talking about North Georgia and some of Bradley County, okay? There is approximately 400,000 plus people. On any given Sunday morning, there is less than 40,000 people in attendance in church in the Chattanooga region. 
That's less than what? 10%. If all of our churches were doing what they're supposed to be doing, and if God was blessing and moving in all those churches, we would still have to plant churches to reach all of Chattanooga. Here's the crazy thing. The projection by 2025 or 2030 is that the Chattanooga region will go from 440, 50,000 to 625,000. You know what the projection of the church is? This is coming from Tennessee Baptists and, and people who are actually studying church. You think there will be more than 40,000 in the next five, or five years in the church? It will be less. And what does the church continue to do? It continues to run from where the people are at. Jesus always ran to the people. Is this making sense? I hope this is breaking your heart. Because it is mine. Jesus wants us to run to the city. Jesus' desire is to, to bring protection and to defend those who need defense. But ultimately, rejection comes. Even as Jesus runs to the city, he, he says that rejection is coming and your house will be left desolate. This should strike us Jesus is saying here is this. He is making a prophetic word here. That, that destruction was coming, yes, that, that destruction was coming, that he, they were going to kill him, but even more than that, that their, the rejection of Christ was going to have, um, yes, a massive impact, but it was going to have an impact upon the city of Jerusalem. Because just about 40 years after this event, after the event of, of the the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, get this, the people of, of Jerusalem didn't understand it, what was going on. They, they, they hated the slavery of, of Rome or the occupation of Rome, and guess what they did? They began to revolt. In 66 A.D., there was a revolt that began in Jerusalem among God's people against the Roman authorities. By 70 A.D., Rome had had enough. And when Rome has enough, they come in and they completely desolate the city of Jerusalem. Matter of fact, what is left of the old city is one wall known as the Welling Wall. Rome desolated it. And any time that we allow sin to reign and we do not understand the compassion and grace of Jesus Christ, desolation is coming. And so as the church of Jesus Christ, we should be out warning and running into the city, into the homes, into the lives of our friends and family, telling them of the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ because of this. Listen, this is real life right here. Chattanooga, Tennessee will be desolated. Say, whoa, you're making a prophetic statement. No, I'm making a statement based upon Scripture. Because it will get worse, will it not? How many of you have read the book of Revelation? 
what comes to this earth? Desolation. So there's this, this desolation that's coming. Jesus, though, has this compassion for the city and the people. He loves them. Even when calling them out, he runs to them. My prayer is this, as, as we move to the next point. We would have this kind of compassion for the city and the people. That instead of running from the city, we would run to the city. That means that those who are evil and wicked, instead of running from them, we run to them. All of us know somebody who needs Christ. Are we running from them or to them? Lastly, this morning, the second thing I want us to, to see is this. In verse 39, there is this conversion and transformation for the city. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Salvation was coming. Resurrection was coming. Not only was salvation and resurrection coming, but there is even more than that. There is going to be a day when Jesus stands on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. And, and he is saying, blessed, it is, it is the end, it is done. Jesus is at that point going to, to bring new hope, new creation, all of that with him at that moment. And the desolation is over and there is this hope of being with him and uh, in this new city for eternity. And Jesus is telling them, look, I am coming again. The blessedness is coming. The one who is going to come, I'm going to come in the name of Christ. I'm coming in the name of the Lord. I am going to come again. And in that, there is going to be this hope and this salvation that exists. That's when he says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's this understanding here of this is a prophetic word from the Old Testament of Hope is coming. This salvation is coming, and it's coming for you. The conversion's coming. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says this, that No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It's a reminder to me as we begin to read and come to a close of this, this series and this, this, this sermon. Jesus ran to the city as he called it out. He ran to the city knowing the Father was calling people out. You and I can run to the city knowing that transformation and, and conversion's coming because Jesus draws people to himself. I don't want to, I'm not going to ask here because it would be quite stunning. But if I asked in a room this size, how many of you have shared your faith before, actually shared the gospel with somebody else? It would be very few. On average, 2% of all Christians have shared the gospel Jesus Christ. Two percent. And we come up with all kinds of excuses. Well, what if I mess up? Or what if they reject me? Or all of that. I don't know enough. All of those things 
our lives from the enemy. As we run to the city, as Jesus ran to the city, as Jesus is bringing conversion and transformation, we are able to run knowing Jesus' words in John chapter 6, that all who um, come to him are come because they are drawn. And if the Holy Spirit draws, you and I cannot mess it up. That also means that you and I are, it's their salvation is not dependent upon how well I speak or what I say. It's based upon the Holy Spirit's movement. Our job is to go simply share the glorious news of Christ. We want to see the city be um, cleaned up and redeemed. We go see lives cleaned up and be redeemed. You want a drug issue to go away? The, the, the issue is not more drug laws, but it's more churches in the drug areas, in the city, being with the people, praying that God would draw the people to themselves. You want to see gun violence go down? It's not about taking guns away. Because guess what? Criminals will find what? Guns. It's not about that. It's about going into those war zones and with the ultimate word, the ultimate sword, and it's the sword of the Spirit, and it's taking it in with a heart of prayer, and it's running in saying, I have the word that brings you hope and salvation. It is Christ Jesus. We do that. We will begin to see a transformation. And so Jesus proclaims this as he runs to the city. So as we close this morning, the question is this. How much do we love Jesus Christ? Oh, your heart and soul. How many would agree with that? You love Christ with everything in you. How much does Christ love your neighbor? So much that he gave what? His only son. If you love Christ with all your heart and soul, Christ's last commandment to you and I were to do what? Go forth. Which means to go to the places what? Where he went. So my, my challenge to you, to, to me, as I wrote in my journal this morning, is God, this is, this is on me. Let's run to the city. What that means is just the people that we come in contact in our city run into it. We know there are issues with people, and I'm, but we run there because we love Christ, and, and He loves people. The only hope that people have is Christ. The answer in just a moment is how much do you love Jesus and with all my heart and soul? Will we all agree that Jesus loves people? Jesus came to what? Die for people? Be resurrected for people? So if we have the heartbeat of Jesus, we love people the same way Jesus loved them. And so we run to him.
because the only hope the city has is Jesus. And I've made this statement in here before, and I'm going to make it again. I made this statement many times in my ministry, mostly because it's a reminder to me. If you love somebody or something, you want what? What's best, right? Is there anybody in here that would say, I love somebody, but, you know, I'll let them get harmed, and that's okay, but I still love them? Is that, is that rational? That's not rational at all, is it? Jamari, if I say, I love you, my friend, but I allow you to be harmed, am I really loving you? I'm what? I'm a hypocrite. And in that, I am doing hatred. So our call is this, to love each other and to love the people that Jesus loves. And that, in conclusion, is what Jesus was calling the Pharisees. You say you love me, but you don't love me, and you for sure don't love people. And in that, you are a hypocrite. But I have come to transform that. why the church can transform a city because Jesus transformed us. So as we come to a close, let's, let's pray. Father, your call is for us to go to a city, the city. That city could be Red Bank, Tennessee. It could be Chattanooga, Tennessee. It could be Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. It could be um, so many places. But your, your call for the city is a call to to people and so God we have we have neighbors we have friends we have loved ones we have um, those who are lost and who need Jesus and Jesus calls these Pharisees hypocrites because of uh, their unwillingness to love you first and then love the uh, then love the people father I'm afraid that as I have studied these last number of weeks and as I've come to this passage what I've realized is that these warnings and these woes could be spoken to us here so often we, we are very much like the, the Pharisees but God I thank you that you've given us your word to warn us and so God I'm asking that you, you break our hearts right now for lostness God, some in this room have children and grandchildren who, who they love, but who have, who are, who are without you. And God, I pray for a grandmother and a grandfather, for a, for mom and dad to be broken, a husband and a wife to be broken for lostness. God, we we have neighbors who are lost. And just as you said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you could easily say Chattanooga, Chattanooga. You tell the church in Ephesus in Revelation chapter 3 that all the things that they were doing that were good were, were good. But the one thing they forgot was their first love. And so, Father, as, as 18 years ago, this, 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 this country and, and a major city in this country was 
rock to the core. Father, the church had an opportunity. And the church dropped it. Father, I'm asking that you begin a revival, an awakening in this city, in this country, from a small campus of a small church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm asking for, for you to convince us and to call us in a fresh and anew with a fresh new wind and a fresh new drink from your pure water for revival and for a brokenness begin with us in this room us in this congregation us as, as a church break us it's in Christ's name. Amen. Stand as we, we respond. Respond to, to the word of God both by singing and by, by praying. And this morning, and this has been a very heavy series out of Matthew 23 with lots of weight. And this week as I, I prayed and I said, God, I, I, I feel like I'm just, this is too much at times. I mean, uh, maybe we need a, a, a book of laughter next. Just reminded this week of the gravity of the situation we live in. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. So I yield to you into your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. Make me your vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. You are breaking new ground. So I yield to you into your careful hand. When I trust you, I don't need to understand. So make me your vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. Make this your prayer this morning. I came here with nothing. But all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine 
out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, and the kingdom is here. I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire today. For where there is new wine, there is new power, there is new freedom, and the kingdom is here. I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire today. In the crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine. So make me your vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. So make me your vessel, make me an offering, make me whatever you want me to be. God, I came here with nothing, but all you have given me, Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. You may be seated as our ushers come forward. Time of offering. Kenny just continues to play as you continue to meditate on the word and upon the song. Jeremy, will you? leader time of prayer. As the, we take up our time of offering this morning, here's an opportunity I want us to pray about. This year, instead of trunk or treat, we're going we're gonna to partner on November 2nd with William and Mary's school for a fall festival. It's, it's just two days after Halloween. makes it easier. And so um, one campus is going to do something on Halloween. We're going to do something, and we're partnering with different people. And here's the reason. We want to reach our city. And, in, in, and this is an opportunity to, to partner with William and Mary. They're going to help get the word out to, to people of our city and our community. And we're going to invite them onto our campus. And we're going to show them the love of Christ. And so we're going to do the same thing we do kind of with Trunk or Treat, except we're going to blow it up a little bit. 
And so we're still going to do games and those kind of things. But be praying that we, that we have the right kind of attitude heading into that, that we look to, to really reach people. It's not just saying somebody comes by and gets candy, hey, how are you? But it's, can, can, can we talk for just a moment? And for, for people like Bill,